Had to get my prop together. <laughs> Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Oh, my, my, my. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And I also want to thank you, the church, the body of Christ. I'm going to thank you for your generosity. Uh, last week, we made a need known as it pertains to the Waller family and them adopting Reese and bringing Reese home. And uh, before church, I guess right at the end of church, someone brought to me um, a picture of the Waller's front door and how during church, you, you obviously got on your phones with Amazon and ordered and paid for those items that they need as a family and they were sitting outside their front door. Uh, again, this was given to me before church was over. And uh, the Amazon delivery guy said, somebody bought out all of Amazon, as he said to the family, to the Wallers. So uh, I want to thank you uh, for your generosity. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And then speaking of the offering, the general offering, last week the Lord moved um, through his people to give an offering really three, over three times the amount of what we need for our weekly uh, budgeting. We budget upwards of 16000 a week in general offering to be able to operate uh, well here at the church. But you gave $59,000 last week. $59,500. And um, it's just like, wow, Lord, thank you. And as you know, we had spoken about how over the summer, we're just going to relax some of our programming so that our staff can get a break and so that you also, as COVID restrictions in some places are lifting a little bit for you to be able to travel and do the things that you haven't been able to do in a year. But to see an offering come in like that heading into the summer, because many times the summer can be tough on churches. It just speaks to the heart of the people. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So it's obvious that your treasure, your heart is in the kingdom of God, operating through Strong Tower because your treasures are here as well. So may God bless you and encourage you, and we thank him for that. Also, we want to be in prayer for our beloved sister Sharon Smith, who's married to Elder Sherman Smith, her mom went home to be with the Lord this past week, and I want to say her mom uh, was 91 years old, lived a long, well, full, rich life uh, with, with wonderful children, and so she went home to be with Jesus, and Sharon is at great peace and joy uh, because she knows the life that her mom lived. As it has been said, a preacher can't preach your funeral. Your life preaches your funeral. And uh, Mama is going to get it, if she hasn't already, a well done. And then uh, on yesterday, we got the news that Felicia Mason, who leads our children's ministry, her father went home to be with the Lord. And he was 71 years old. Um, and Felicia has spent many, many days, months, and years helping to care for him as he was in various assisted living facilities, battling various health challenges. 
but again, uh, the Lord saw fit to bring another servant home. Uh, there was a case about four years ago where they put him on life support. And, and he's, you know, he had a, a, a season where they, they thought he was going to leave and God said no. They thought he was going to leave and God said no. And four years ago when he was on life support, he came off life support and he told Felicia that he was in a room with angels and he saw a great light. Uh, but obviously the Lord said not now, not yet, but he determined that yesterday was the day. And just as we have no control over our birthday, uh, we have no control over the day of our death. And I just pray that we'll all be ready uh, because we don't know when we will step into eternity. The thing about death is death is the common denominator for us all. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, how old you are, how wealthy, how not wealthy, how educated, uneducated, whoever you are, death is the common denominator for all men. Uh, but you got to trust somebody. You got to know somebody who not only died in your place, but defeated death through his resurrection. And it's through him that we have life and life more abundantly, as well as access to eternal life. So if you don't know him, today is the day of salvation. And you just don't want to know him so you can get a, a ride to heaven. You want to know him so that he can change and touch your life every single day. There's no one like the Lord. So amen, amen. And my final announcement, and, and, and let me say this. Uh, let's make sure we do our best to not only pray for Felicia uh, and Sharon, but these women have always been there for us. So let's ask God how we can be there for them, how we can help, how we can serve. Those of you who walk through the passing of parents, you kind of know what this feels like. I know it's different for everyone, but there's a similarity in this experience, and there may be a way, a card that you can send, or a, a meal you can provide, or just to let them know a text. Hey, we're praying for you and we're thinking of you. And so thank you, Strong Tower, because that's the kind of church that we are. Amen, amen. I have a special announcement uh, at the end of my sermon. So for those of you who may want to like try to leave out, uh, the, no, don't do that. Hang on, uh, because at the end I have a, a special announcement to make. All right, Genesis chapter 3. Yes, that jewel sure can sing, can't she? <laughs> my goodness, that girl's hitting them octaves, and I was going up there with her, you know what I'm saying? And she kept going up higher and higher. Ooh, we are so blessed in this body. Our musicians, God has been so good to us, and we thank him. Genesis chapter 3, beginning at verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So with your prayers and with the help of the Holy Spirit, I'd like to teach and preach a message today entitled, The Futility of fig leaves, the futility of fig leaves. Let us pray. Father, as Brother Atarius said, this week uh, has been up and down. Jonathan also alluded to that. We have had to rely on our faithful God. 
when we have not been faithful. You remain faithful when the world is tossing and turning and there's bloodshed every day in this country. Uh, people are succumbing to police brutality. So many things are happening with all of the mass shootings and all of the sorrow. Soon as you try to process one painful event, another event comes. But God, we hold on to the one who's holding on to us. And we thank you that you are stable, you are sure, you are strong, you're able, you're capable, you are present. You are God. You are love. You have a plan. And you told us that things will get worse before they get better. And we trust you in the midst of it all, knowing still that all things work together for good because we love you. And we're called according to your purpose. So, Lord, when we don't understand your mind or your ways, we choose to trust your heart. We choose to walk by faith. We choose, Lord, to rest in you. We choose, Lord, to trust you, even when we don't understand. Now, Lord, I pray as we come to the word, I pray that the gospel will go forward today because it's the power of God unto salvation. But not only that, it is the power of God, the good news to encourage discouraged hearts, souls, and minds. It is the power to lift up a head that is hanging low. It is the power to ignite the soul. It is the power to remind us of who we are and whose we are and to remind us of the great hope that we have in our future. May the gospel run today from heart to heart, from home to home. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you, Lord. Amen. The futility of fig leaves. Juneteenth is the oldest celebration in the country for the ending of American slavery. Juneteenth, June 19th, is the oldest celebration in the country for the ending of American slavery. We hope soon that Juneteenth will be a national holiday. But until then, many states around the country, especially black people who live in those states, celebrate Juneteenth. You see, through the Emancipation Proclamation, President Lincoln declared that on January 1st, 1863, all of the slaves in southern territories would be free. He wrote in the Emancipation Proclamation, that going into effect on January 1st, 1863, all slaves in southern states and territories would be free. That is South Carolina, they would be free. Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, Mississippi, North Carolina, Florida, Louisiana, Arkansas, Virginia, and Texas. As far down south as Texas, all slaves in these territories would be free. And this wartime document paved the way for the 13th and 14th amendments that would be added to our Constitution in 1865. And these amendments would truly and legally abolish slavery in every state in the United States at that time. But Lincoln's decree that went into effect in 1863 was not enforced in Texas 
until June 19, 1865. It was not until General Gordon Granger and the Union troops, the federal troops, went to Galveston, Texas, two and a half years later with the good news that the uninformed, legally free Africans still working on plantations could now be literally free Africans. Oh, you didn't hear me. There were people who were still in bondage not knowing that they had been set free governmentally. Now, we don't know if the, the, the overseers and the slave owners at that time intentionally kept information away, probably so, uh, but again, that's, that was a different time and world and, and as far as how information was passed from state to state and place to place. But nevertheless, uh, news got to the general that there were slaves still working on the plantation when they didn't have to be working on the plantation. So he and his troops went into Texas, Galveston, in order to enforce what the government had said was the case. So these slaves were free, but they didn't have the truth to make them free indeed. So they're working as slaves, but technically they're free. So someone has to come and tell them, not only are you free, you can now be free indeed within the context of 1865. Many Christians are like this. We are legally free, but we are not literally free. The courts of heaven have declared us free through the finished work of Jesus Christ and our faith in him, but we don't live like we are free people because the Bible says whom the Son sets free is free indeed. We are legally free as Christians, but how many of us really live literally free like we are free indeed? We still try to please God who is already pleased with us. We still try to earn the favor of God with our works, not realizing that God is already pleased with us because of his undeserved favor, which has been lavished on us and poured out on us in abundance. We can't work for favor. We just receive the favor that he just heaps on us day after day after day. His mercies are new every morning. We are restless, however, with our own inadequacies when we should be resting in his adequacies. I'm here to let you know today that imputed righteousness is God's answer for the problem of inherent religion in all of us. All of us have a tendency to be religious. I'll break that down today. Religion is futile. We're talking about the futility of fig leaves. Really, it's the futility of religion. And even Christians have a way of picking up fig leaves after we've been clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We have a tendency of trying to work for something that was given to us as a gift. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But somehow we try to work and earn something that has already been freely given to us. Or we do like many Christians, we believe the gospel is for us to get saved. We believe the gospel to get saved, but we drop the gospel off once we accept Christ and now we pick up the drudgery of quote unquote discipleship and now it's up to us to live for Christ. 
But I'm going to prove today that the same gospel that sets you free is the same gospel that keeps you free. The same gospel we heard to become saved is the same gospel we must hear to live saved. The gospel, the gospel, the gospel. So the first thing I want you to see today is religion is inherent in man, meaning that it is within us. We have inherited this and it is inherent within us. It is a natural proclivity in all of us to be religious, religious. So hang with me. Genesis chapter three, verse seven says, then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. After disobeying God and after their eyes being open, they noticed that they were naked. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And the first thing Adam and Eve did when they sinned was become religious. They sinned. Their eyes were open. They knew that they were naked. And then the first thing they did was become religious. Pastor, what are you talking about? Hold on. Religion became a natural, unsolicited response to cope with sin, shame, and guilt. No one told Adam and Eve to pick up fig leaves. No one told them to do that. But the picking up of the fig leaves was the beginning of religion in the world. The picking up of the fig leaves, it was their own way of trying to deal with the problem of sin and death and separation from God and even separation from one another. Religion, picking up the fig leaves to cover their shame rather than turning to God, was inherent in them as a knee-jerk reaction immediately. They sinned, their eyes were open, they made fig leaves to cover their shame. So that is within all of us in terms of how are we going to deal with the emptiness in our soul, the shame in our soul. The tendency is let's do something religious. And that's what they did. Religion is man's sincere yet inadequate attempt to reconcile himself to God on his own terms, in his own way, and for man's own glory. Oh, y'all not hearing me. I know you're thinking, think, mm -hmm, because the more you think, the more you can thank. Because I hope by the time we get to this message, there's going to be some thanking going on, because you're thinking right now. Mm -hmm, Yeah, yeah, test the spirits. uh Be like the Berean believers. Is this stuff this brother saying true? Mm Mm-hmm, hold on, uh uh-huh. Yes, it is. Religion is man's sincere yet inadequate attempt to reconcile himself to God on his own terms, in his own way, and ultimately for his own glory. Inherent religion showed up with Cain, who was Adam and Eve's child. Cain came out, and then Abel came, and the two of them offered sacrifices to the Lord. Cain brought the fruit of the ground and Abel brought one of the livestock from the flock. And the Bible says that God looked with favor on Abel's offering of the livestock and he looked down upon Cain's offering of the ground. Apparently, God had given prescription on how to approach him, i.e., as we're going to see today, by blood. Abel did the right thing because God would rebuke Cain and said, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But Cain did his 
own thing. He worked the ground. He was a farmer. And so when he brought his offering to God, literally he was saying, look at what I've done. I've worked hard and and I'm giving you something from the ground that I worked and cultivated and took care of and I'm giving this to you. And God says, no, I'm not accepting that. You can't come to me on your terms, but I'll accept Abel because the terms I set, as we'll see today, is blood. And when you bring an animal that came from God, you're not saying, look at what I have done. Look at what my hands have done. You're saying, God, look at what you have done. Look at what your hands have done. And God accepted the blood. And in Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about how Abel offered a better sacrifice. And so religion, that thing, I got to do it my way for my glory. Forget what God says. It's up to me. It's inherent. And it was also inherent in the people at the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. When God says, man, scatter, fill the earth, and subdue it, they said, no, we're going to stay in one place. We found a nice plane, and what we're going to do is we're going to build a tower up to the heavens. We are going to make bricks. The Bible says they said it, let us make bricks. And they were trying to build this tower up to God so that they could have their own glory. But the Bible says, and God came down. No matter how high man tries to go in his own glory, God still has to come down. Because on your best day, you'll never be as high as the most high. God just got to come down. So religion is futile. God was the one who said, let us make man. These folks said, let us make bricks. Because we got to do it, you know, because the, really the, the impetus of the temptation that Satan laid before Adam and Eve was the ability to be like God to be independent. Mm -hmm. And so that's really at the core of our sinfulness. We want to be independent of God. Satan wanted to be independent of God. And God says, no, you are a created thing. Not only will you not be independent, you will be held accountable and you will never be as high as the most high. And so God had to expel him from heaven and he fell to earth and he tempted Adam and Eve with the same thing that he fell from, that desire to be God, to be independent and not need God. And that's how we live when we're acting uh, in a humanistic way, not in a way that's dependent on God. And that's even for Christians. We can get up as believers and live like atheists if we're not careful. But God is merciful and he knows how to woo us back and love us back to an acknowledgement. And once you hit that first trial and problem of the day that is insurmountable, you are quickly reminded of your humanity. You are quickly reminded of your need for God and you repent of your atheism or agnosticism, even as a believer and say, Lord, I've been so foolish. Forgive me. Because we inherently go on automatic pilot. We inherently try to do things in our own strength to cover our inadequacies rather than resting on the one who is adequate. We, like sheep, have gone astray. We still go astray. Thank God the Lord laid on Jesus all of our sin, past, present, and future. So glad that our status with him is not dependent upon our performance. Because, man, if it was based on our performance, we would be toe up from the flow up. But our status and relationship with God is dependent on the finished work of Jesus, not upon what I do or don't do. So this ought to free us up 
to live the life that God has called us. It ought to free us up when we see still how fallen we are, even though we're redeemed, because it's the gospel of Jesus that's the power of God for us. And so the first thing they did, they made fig leaves. Cain offered his own offering. The Tower of Babel folks said, we're going to do our own thing. And because of man's inherent depravity, we are born depraved. That just means in the Hebrew, we're messed up. Uh, uh, (laughs) Because of man's inherent depravity, desperation, and degeneration, he participates in religion and religious activity because it's a natural outworking of his condition. Adam and Eve did this naturally. No one told them to do this. Adam didn't even say, Eve, follow my example. They both did this because it was an inherent knee-jerk reaction to try to reconcile the brokenness that was now in their soul. Religion, religion. They picked up fig leaves. You see, religion is man's search for God. Religion is based on man's works. That is what he can do in and of himself to be made right with God or to be his own God. Religion instills a system of behavior and a code of conduct that no one lives up to, especially those who make the rules. Uh, You'll get that when you're going home. Religion is empty and it's insufficient to legitimately satisfy the soul of man. Religion falls short. And here are some things that happened when Adam and Eve fell short of the glory of God, which is perfection. They fell short. First thing, they died spiritually. Because God said, the day you eat from this tree, you will surely die. And death in the Bible means separation. Get that in your mind. It means separation. They were separated from life in God. Life with God. Sin broke fellowship, and it brought a a separation. And as we're going to see later, that's why they're hiding from God. They used to enjoy being in the presence of God. Sin breaks the fellowship. Now they're separated from God spiritually. And we are born separated from God spiritually. And we need a reconnection. But not only that, the spiritual death would lead to physical death, that there would be this thing called death. And Adam, although he lived 930 years, it was never intended for man to die. But sin brings death. Separation from God spiritually, but also separation of the soul from the body. Death. That's what happens when people die. Their spirit leaves the body. Their spirit is separated from the body. And if you don't know the Lord in the pardoning of your sins, your soul will be separated from God in, all e- in hell for all eternity. That's eternal death. So there's spiritual death, physical death, and eternal death, all because they disobeyed, all because they ate from the forbidden fruit. Wow, wow, wow. But let's keep on going. They died spiritually, but not only that, their humanity or the image of God in them became fallen. They were made in the image of God, but once they sinned, the image of God in them became fallen, and one proof of that is that their sexuality also became marred and skewed. And so as we saw a couple of weeks ago, I won't get into all of that, but when you read through the early chapters of Genesis, you see the outworkings of a marred sexuality. 
throughout the, the, the book of Genesis and even the Bible and in our world. And so they died spiritually. Their humanity became fallen. Their sexuality became deeply marred and they relied on religion to deal with their shame, guilt, and turmoil. They made fig leaves. They sowed fig leaves. So here are some things that religious people do. Here are some things that religious people do. Number one, religious people attempt to cover their own moral nakedness. That's what religious people do. They seek to cover up their own moral nakedness. They've got to do something with their hands. And in verse 7, they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. So they work with their hands to cover their nakedness. Because when chapter 2 ends, the man and his wife were naked and not ashamed. There was no guilt in their nakedness. They're in the presence of God. They have not fallen. They are innocent. But once sin comes, what was once beautiful now becomes, uh, I'm ashamed now. It happened inherently in them. Separated from each other, separated from God. Oh my. So religious people work with their hands to try to cover a hole in their heart that can't be covered. The Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes that God has put eternity in the hearts of men. In other words, men have this gaping hole, this eternal hole that only an eternal God can fill. But we will do the vain things that Solomon said to try and fill these empty places in our lives by partying and drinking and buying and accumulating wealth and having honor and having power. All those things. And he still said, vanity of vanity. It's all meaningless. Only an eternal God can fill the eternal void, but religious people will still try. Religious people are usually very committed. Pastor, what you talking about? They invented sewing right there on the spot. <laughs> sewing. Now, I don't know how they did it, but they were the first people that began to say how, the ingenuity. How, we, we got to take these fig leaves off this tree, sew them together. Now, again, I don't know how they did it, but that takes some commitment. Let's just say that takes some commitment. To sew anything takes commitment. But in that time, man, that was commitment. And religious people are committed. I respect Muslims because they're committed to their religion to the five pillars of Islam, which includes making a trip to Mecca. If you're able, you can afford it. That man ought to uh, fasting during Ramadan and all the things that they do, how they pray, the way they face, and, and, and how they have to give money. There's a commitment that they have that I respect. But I also know that although they are sincere, they're sincerely wrong. That although they're very committed, they're committed to religion that ultimately says, look to them. Because their religion says, if you give your life for Allah, especially if you're a man, if you give your life for him, then you'll go to heaven and you'll receive X amount of virgins. So if you give your life uh, for the cause of Islam, then you will be richly rewarded in heaven. But the God of Christianity says, I'll give my life for you. <laughs> you don't have to give your life for me. I'll give my life for you so that you can go to heaven. My God. Religion, religion. And, and not just Islam, but, but man, when you look at Jehovah's Witnesses, their commitment to knock on doors, 
That, but, but it's a works-based religion. Because the proof that you know God, according to them, is how many doors you knock on. How many converts you can make. For Mormons and others who, who, who have this works-based theme. Because when you get down to the root of religion, at the core is people doing works to earn their way towards their God. The Baha'i faith. Hinduism, Buddhism, at the root of it is something people must do. Live a good life, do good things, all of that stuff. Except for the faith of Christianity. I'm getting ahead of myself. Religious people are very committed. Not only that, religious people have a skewed view of who God truly is. Because in verse 8 it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They're hiding from God, and I put that in quotation, air quotes, because God is holy. And now they realize that they are not holy. They have sinned. They are separated from God. They are very aware of their brokenness. So they hide from God. And people who are religious tend to only or primarily focus on the holiness of God, the judgment of God. And the Bible talks about holiness. The Bible talks about judgment. But God has so many more sides to himself than just holiness, than just judgment. There's a side to him called mercy. There's a side to him called grace. And here's the thing, though. Religion can slip the other way, too, because there are some people who want to overemphasize or only emphasize his, holy, his, his mercy and his grace and his love. But they don't want to deal with his holiness. They don't want to deal with his judgment and his justice. But we need to, as best we can, get to know God through all of his sides, all of his characteristics and attributes, his nature, and not just allow what we want to support our religion be what we focus on. Adam and Eve were focusing on his holiness right here, and they were afraid, and they should have been. But there's so much more to him than this. But religion will, will they, people will use fear to, to, to keep people in a camp. They will use fear to make people come into a camp and use fear to make people say, you can't leave this camp. Fear, my God. But religious people will also focus on outward coverings while still having naked souls. Oh, you got to see. They're going to still focus on these outward coverings, but knowing their soul is naked. Look at verse 10. So he said, I heard your voice. Adam is speaking to God. I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Because God said, Adam, where are you, bro? Now, God knows where he is. But this is a merciful question because he wants the brother to respond. Adam, where are you? And, and, and Adam says, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Hold on. I thought you sewed some fig leaves together. I thought you put stuff on to cover your nakedness. But here you are telling God that you're still naked even though you've got fig leaves on. Don't let that go of your head now. You put fig leaves on, but yet you know you're still naked before a holy, righteous, everlasting God. And not only that, religious people, it can make you mess up your mind a little bit because 
This brother was hiding in the garden. Now, now, let me know if you still see me. You still see me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Feudal, isn't it? But you're clothed with your religion, and you're still back here hiding from God and admitting to him that you're naked. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Religion in and of itself is insufficient to rid us of our shame, guilt, and turmoil caused by our sin. It's insufficient. It doesn't work. The work of your hands, the stuff we do, it doesn't work. We need some good news. We need some help. We need God to intervene, and we don't even know it. But I thank God for the second and final point. Righteousness is graciously imputed from God to man. So religion is inherent in all of us because of our parents, Adam and Eve. The tendency to be God or to please God on our own terms. It's in us to deal with our guilt. Let me do something. Maybe I can tip the scales with God's favor because I was doing bad things. And now let me do something good so he can love me again. And religion, religion. And as I'm going to say here in a moment, not just for unbelievers, but religious believers as well. Mm -mm -mm. Righteousness is graciously imputed from God to man. Let's look at the good news. Genesis chapter 3, verse 21 Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. That may not be much to you, but I'm here to let you know that's grace right there. That's mercy right now. We see that God initiated redemption for Adam and Eve. He initiated redemption because if God doesn't help, If God doesn't act, if God doesn't initiate, if God doesn't make a way, if God doesn't offer provision, man is lost. Man is lost. The fig leaves don't work. So God must intervene. God must incarnate. God must come to us. Let me go further. If we believe in total depravity, which basically means we're dead in our trespasses and in our sins, Ephesians chapter 2. We are depraved. We are spiritually dead. Romans says no one understands and no one seeks after God. Okay? Because God has to seek after us. Because some of us will say, man, I sought him and I found him, which means, again, we're getting credit. But no one seeks after God. There's none righteous, no, not one. We are dead. So total depravity. Adam and Eve could not ask God for help to save them. You don't see them asking God for help because they couldn't. Why? Because they were spiritually dead. They didn't ask for help, but they sure tried to help themselves with religion. Is anybody following me so far? They're depraved. They're spiritually dead. They can't ask for help. Not only that, they did not ask for help. God had to be the one to come to them and offer help. Adam and Eve had nothing to do 
with these coverings that God provided for them. Because the Bible says the Lord God made tunics of skin. The Lord God made tunics of skin. Because the religious efforts that you brought about, they were insufficient and really foolish. But the Lord God made tunics. The Lord God covered you in your nakedness. God moved towards them. And Adam and Eve made a mess, but God said, I'm gonna make coverings. Y'all made a mess but I'm going to make coverings. And these coverings, they didn't work to get them. They didn't earn these coverings. They weren't good enough to get these coverings. They could only receive these coverings. I gotta say it again. They didn't work for these coverings. They didn't earn these coverings. They weren't good enough to get these coverings. They could only receive them. God had to dress them. And in order to receive these coverings, I believe they would have to first take off their fig leaves. Uh -huh. See, there's some simple messages in Genesis about the gospel. Because God is not going to clothe you while you're still trying to clothe yourself. And the taking off of the fig leaves is really an act of repentance saying, I was doing it my way, like Frank Sinatra. I did it my way, I, I, and it didn't work. For those in the 21st century, Usher, he sang a song, he did it his way. Whoever you are, you're trying to do it your way, it don't work. Repentance is turning from your own path and turning to God. Turning from what you have done that fails and is empty, corrupt, all of that, and turning to God. Taking off the fig leaves to receive God's covering was an act of repentance on the behalf of Adam and Eve. Amen. So how did God cover Adam and Eve? God had an animal die in their place. Verse 21, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. This means that God killed an animal. This means that God killed an animal that was innocent. Anybody see the gospel coming right now? An animal that didn't do what they did paid for what they did. So God slew an animal, which means that blood was shed. Because Hebrews tells us there can be no remission of sin without the shedding of what? Blood. The blood signifies life. A life pays for another life. Because our God, who is holy and merciful and, and all that stuff, he's also just. Which means... He cannot pardon sin without there being a payment for sin. He's just not going to let you go. He's just not going to pardon you. No, in order for him to pardon you, there has to be a payment so that the pardon can be just and right. Because if he lets it go, he's not just. He's not God. But since he is God, he is just, he must pardon where there is a payment. That's the only way he can do it. So this animal paid for Adam and Eve's transgressions. And God used that same animal's hide to cover Adam and Eve's nakedness. So God took the life of the animal, the blood of the animal, for Adam and Eve's transgressions. And not only that, he then takes the hide off the animal and clothes them 
where now they looking like Fred and Wilma, you know, like they got these uh, uh, animal skins, prehistoric folk, uh-huh, that's covering them, covering their nakedness now. And this is a picture of the gospel, that Jesus, the lamb who was innocent, who knew no sin, became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21. There's this transference because of the gospel. Jesus takes the punishment. He sheds his blood. He takes our sin and he gives us, imputes to us his righteousness. So that when God looks at those of us who have received Jesus and accepted Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior, when God looks at us, we look just like his son Jesus by way of perfection. Mm-hmm. Let, 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 let it register. Let it soak. His righteousness has been imputed to me, given to me. All right, let, let, let me go with another picture. In the Old Testament, remember when Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. The blessing was on Jacob, the younger son, not on Esau, the older son. So there were times where Jacob, you know, tricked his brother out of the blessing and all that stuff. But in order to get the blessing from his aging father, Isaac, he had to go into the tent and have the father impart the blessing to him. But Jacob said to his mother, I, I, I can't do that because my brother has hair on him and, and all this stuff. And I, don't, I know daddy's almost blind, but, but if I go in there to seek a blessing, he might curse me. And so what mama did, because they come from a tricky family, you know, Uncle Laban and all of them, they're they, they real tricky, which is what Jacob's name means. It means trickster. So what they did was they took some of Esau's clothes that smelled like Esau, and he was a man of the field. And his daddy knew that because he would cook stew for him and all that. He would go out and kill animals. But Jacob was mild and mannered, and he was in the house. Homeboy didn't even have any facial hair. So what mama did, she said, um, let's take some animal skin and put it on you. We're going to dress you in animal skin. We're going to put your brother's clothes on you, and you're going to go in before your nearly blind father and get the blessing. So Jacob goes in before his father. He says, uh, who is it? He said, it's your son, Esau. But it's really Jacob. And Isaac says, come here, because you sound like Jacob. I need you to come here. Because, you know, there's something going on here. I've been with y'all all these years. I know how uh, dysfunctional this family is. Come in. And the Bible says, he leaned in and he smelled him. And when he smelled him and he could feel the hair, which was from an animal, that, that replicated Esau's hair, he was like, ah, and he blesses him. Yeah. I'm here to say that the blessing that Jacob got by trickery, we get the blessing by faith. Now watch this, watch this. When I approach God, who is not blind, who sees all things and knows all things, and he sees the things that I do, but when I come close, I sound like Chris, 
but I smell like Christ. You didn't hear that. When I come to, I sound like Chris, but I smell like Christ because we are the aroma of Christ Jesus, the Bible says. So I smell like Jesus, even with all my funk underneath. I smell like Jesus, even with the stench of my disobedience. I smell like Jesus, even when I fall and when I fail. I sound like Chris, but I smell like Christ. And I'm accepted by the Father, and I'm blessed because of Christ who's on me. But if I get up and I'm thinking religiously, I'm not depending on the aroma of Christ, the righteousness of Christ. I'm going to try to grab some fig leaves today because I'm believing what I'm saying is that Christ really is not enough for me. Christ really didn't do enough for me. So I got to add some of my works, which are filthy rags. Why do I do that? Because religion is still inherent in me. It's when you wake up and say, let me read my Bible for 30 minutes so God can really bless me today. Let me pray for a long time so I can get on God's good side today, not knowing you're already on his good side. That's religion. Let, 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 let me give some money. Let, let me help some people to get this guilt off my back because the things I've been doing breaking God's heart. Let, let me try to do, rather than repenting and just receiving his grace, I try to work. To earn it. So Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, an animal died in their place. God used that animal to cover them. And God could accept this covering because he knew another one was coming. Oh, y'all, y'all. God could accept this covering, which really, really, really was a picture of the Jewish Hebrew sacrificial system of animals, bulls and goats and sheep, atoning for the sins of men. This was a picture of that system where God took an animal to cover their sin. And the reason why God could accept this payment, as well as the payment of the Jews with animals, is because he knew another payment was coming. I mean, if we really go deep with it, another payment was technically already made. Oh, my goodness. If you have ears of faith, Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, talks about how the Lamb, capital L, was slain before the foundation of the world. Meaning that it was predetermined in the courts of heaven by his sovereign will that Jesus, his son, would die for the sins of the world before he even created the world. That Jesus would die before Adam and Eve were created. That it was determined that Jesus would die before Adam and Eve had sinned. What this means is that the God we serve is not a God who reacts. The God we serve is a God who predetermines. Meaning that when I have a problem, he already has the solution in store. When I have a problem, he doesn't then create a solution. The solution has already been predetermined in eternity past because God will not learn information. God knows all things and he predetermined, if you can believe it, that his son would be slain before Adam and Eve sinned. So therefore, he could accept those Old Testament payments because he knew not only what was coming, but also what had already happened. Oh, 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 watch this. The Bible says that when Abram believed God, his faith, it was credited to him as righteousness. It wasn't his circumcision. It wasn't his works. It was his faith in God that righteousness was credited to him. You see, people in the Old Testament were saved on credit. 
people in the New Testament are saved on debit. Oh, you missed all that. You, you mi- I got to say it again, Atarius. Credit, because we know a payment is coming, even though it technically already happened in eternity, even though it didn't happen in time and space. But, but, so God could forgive because of what the payment was going to be when the Lamb of God came to take away the sins of the world. So God says, I can forgive that on credit because I know the payment is coming. And once the payment comes and we become rich in his mercy, everything we do now, we're saved on debit. We just slide the card of faith. We're saved on debit. They slid the card of faith in the Old Testament. They were saved on credit. But I just want to know, is anybody saved out here? Anybody know God? Has he taken your sins and separated them from you as far as the east is from the west? You will never come under condemnation in the sight of God because those who are in Christ Jesus will not suffer condemnation. My God, conviction, yes, condemnation, no. So don't you dare condemn yourself when God doesn't even condemn you. Don't you dare let somebody else condemn you with their religion when God does not condemn you. And he's made a way for you to know him through faith. Imputed righteousness, which can only be attained by faith, is God's answer for the problem of inherent religion in man. But what if, after being clothed by God, Adam and Eve once again say, you know what? Where them fig leaves at? What he put on us, I don't feel, I don't trust, is enough. Where them fig leaves at? And, and he bends over and he's grabbing some poison ivy. And she said, no, baby, that, that ain't it. Uh, uh, that, that is over there. How foolish they would look putting on fig leaves over the animal skin. But that's how we look. When we're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, because the Bible says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, that those who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We put on Christ. How foolish it is when we grab the fig leaves of trying harder, the fig leaves of doing better, the fig leaves of trying to impress God and man with my works. It's futile. The just are saved by faith, and the just shall live by faith. And the works we do are a product of that faith. The works are not added to the faith, otherwise we would be boasting. No, if there's going to be boasting, the boasting is in the Lord and all that he has done for us. So religion, it's futile. The fig leaves are futile. With religion, as I said, you can be sincere, but you're sincerely wrong. Faith, I have to trust Jesus. He gets all of the glory for my transformation. There's nothing my hands can point to that I have done. He's the one who initiated and clothed me then through Adam, and he clothes me now through Jesus Christ. So I just say to everyone here, it's time for people to stop being religious. Let us repent of being religious and receive God's righteousness. And it's also time for people who have received God's righteousness to stop being 
religious. I'm going to say it one more time because that was good. It's time for people to stop being religious. That's unbelievers. And receive God's righteousness. It's also time for people who have received God's righteousness to stop being religious. You know, the church in Galatia did this. They had come to God by grace through faith, received his spirit, but they turned from that and began to trust in their own works. They became performance-based. They became merit-driven by what they did, believing that God would accept them. And Paul had to say, who has bewitched you? Bewitch. That you have turned from the gospel and you're focusing on diets and days and performance. You have fallen from grace. That doesn't mean they lost their salvation. No, you've fallen from grace and you picked law up again. And the law was used to lead you to Jesus. The law was used to show you that you need Jesus. And when you come to Jesus by grace through faith, you put the law away because the Lord touches your heart. And through his grace, you live the law of loving God and loving your neighbor and loving yourself. But you're not focused on rules. You're focused on him. But they picked up law. And we need to be mindful whenever we do that. And it's very subtle. We need to repent and say, no, God, I trust Jesus and Jesus alone. He accepts me today. Whether or not you accept me, he accepts me today, knowing I'm going to fail him today. He accepts me today, which is why his blood covered all my failings. He knows my frame. He knows I'm dust. That's no excuse to be dustier than I ought to be. But man, come on, live up to what you've attained in Christ, through Christ, because I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. I live by faith. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't live by religion. And when I find myself doing it, I must repent and trust the finished work of Jesus on the cross and from the empty grave that it is enough for me because it is enough for God. Because when I'm religious, I'm miserable. When I'm religious, man, I never do enough. When I'm religious, it's about me. But when I trust my God, when I submit and say, Lord, I'm broken, busted and disgusted. I did it again. I fought it again. I'm straying again. I'm struggling again. He tells me again, trust me. Stop trying and start trusting. Ah, thank you, Jesus. Let us pray. Might we all preach the gospel to the lost and preach the gospel to ourselves. If there's someone watching or someone present today, you've never trusted Jesus, the Son of God, to be the one who saves you from your sin. Today, right now, is the day of salvation. And all you have to say is, Lord, remember me. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I want you. Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, be my Lord. Jesus, be my God. Jesus, come into my life and take over. I give you my life Jesus. Oh, pray that prayer today. Pray that you will be born again. You will become a new creation, a new person 
but above all, righteousness will be accounted and credited to your human account. You will be justified or declared righteous in the sight of God because of faith in Christ. That's the good news. Trust him. He did the work. And even the faith that you put in him today originates from him. So just follow his leading and say, yes, Jesus. I I grew up in church, but I say, yes, Jesus. I, I was baptized, but I say, yes, Jesus. I want to know you for myself. And if you've prayed that prayer, would you tell somebody? Would you tell somebody I know that's been praying for you that today was that day? Would you email us? Would you text us? Would you let us know? Because angels are rejoicing. We just want to join the party. Tell somebody. Tell somebody. And for those of us who know the Lord, who are already clothed in his righteousness, may we be quick to repent when we want to pick up our works and our fig leaves that are inadequate, that are not needed. May we be quick to say, I'm not reading the Bible to earn favor with God. I'm reading my Bible so I can get to know my God. It's his love letter to me. He's not grading me. He's already received me because I've received his son. Might we be free, not only legally, Lord, but free indeed, free literally. So that we don't walk around as free people who keep picking up shackles of religion and performance-based acceptance. Help us to be free the way you intended. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thank you, God. Yeah. Is anybody glad that you don't have to trust no fig leaves? Is anybody glad, man? Oh, man, I don't need them. They, They don't work. But he did the work. Well, I mentioned I have an announcement before Jonathan comes to close us, and it involves Juneteenth, June 19th of this year. And if you've been with us for a while, you know that uh, this church has been a part of a journey called the Fuller Story, uh, telling the story of Africans before, during, and after the Civil War right there in the city of Franklin, which is a historic town as pertains to the Civil War. A battle was fought there in 1865 called the Battle of Franklin. And so right there on that square, there is a monument to a Confederate soldier, but he will be joined shortly. Well, first, he was joined in October of 2019 with historic markers telling the stories of black people. Uh, But not only that, he will be joined this year with a statue of a United States colored troop soldier who uh, uh, joined the federal army, not only to fight to preserve the union, but also to gain his people's freedom. And so we're gonna honor uh, these nearly 200,000 men who joined the army and the navy with a statue. And this will be the first time since the city's founding in 1799 and the first time since the statue was put up in 1899 that a black man will be represented in that city. So strongholds are falling. Strongholds are falling because there's power in representation. However, we got news from our sculptor and news from the people who are making the granite base that as much as they were trying to have everything done by June 19th, 
they won't have the job completed by June 19th. Oh, but it will be completed. And so what we're looking at is we're still going to celebrate June 19th on the square in Franklin. Uh, and this, to our knowledge, is the first time black people in the history of the city have ever had the center stage in the city for themselves, ourselves. Uh, black people have never had the, the center square the way others have had. And we're going to have Juneteenth celebration with food trucks and uh, HBCUs and, and uh, all kind of things. Are going to be, uh, choir, singing, all kind of stuff is happening. Jason Eskridge, who's been in our church, he's going to be performing. It's going to be a day of celebrating the fact that we as a people truly were emancipated. We, and we need that right now for our souls to be able to, to do the electric slide right out there in the center of the town where white supremacy has reigned. We're going to be out there... We're going to be out there celebrating our God, emancipating our people. Uh, but, but, but the statue, once the, the statue is done, the base is done, we'll have a, 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 a day to dedicate them. We'll invite public officials and we'll still do it. So God's just extending the glory. So rather than it being in one day, there'll be two days. So amen. I just want to let y'all know. But you can still buy the t-shirts, all right? I'm going to have the t-shirts out here, and you can get the t-shirts. All right! I'm done. Let the church say amen. 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 Thank you. All right, brother.